Well, hey, good morning, church. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. They're up. <laughs> uh, it is so good to be with everybody. Um, and God's been doing some awesome things. Last week, how many of you made it to the launch party last week? Yeah, that was an awesome time. Can we just give a thank you to uh, Culver's, to, uh, to Darren Hewitt, to Amanda Farmer, as, as well as to the Perry's for Sweet Treats? They provided all the food. We gave out 300 hamburgers, 80 hot dogs, and a whole bunch of ice cream. It was awesome. Can we just give a thank you to all of them? And for all the volunteers and staff who made it happen, it was such a great time. We gave away a Green Mountain Grill uh, at Lane. Lane Straup won it. I think he's like, how old is Lane, 13? Yeah, he's like 13. I'm like, dude. Wait, where? Yeah, that was way to go, buddy. That was awesome. <laughs> um, we had laser tag and gaga ball and yard games and just a great time fellowship. We think there were about 320, 330 people who came out for the launch party for our first one. It was amazing. Uh, and then this week, we've partnered with River City Church in Mason City, uh, which they just celebrated their year anniversary. And here's the thing. Kingdom of God is bigger than Zion. Amen. Um, if you're new with us, um, by the way, I love amen. So if I say something, you're like, amen, you can say it or preach it, whatever, it's all good. Um, so we partnered for three nights of revival, and God has just done some amazing things, and we actually, they extended it for two more nights. Uh, so last night was at River City, and then we're back here tonight at 6.30 for those who want to come. Uh, some amazing things happened. We saw lives get healed. We saw uh, a woman with a broken foot get healed, which was awesome. A bunch of people came to Christ, a bunch of baptisms. Joe Bieber shared his testimony, heard from uh, some amazing evangelists. But here's the thing. Really what it's about is we want to see God stir up in the hearts and lives of our community because God is doing something in North Iowa. Amen? And I'm excited to see what's going. So if you don't have anything going on tonight, 6.30 here. It's, it's going to be different for some of you, and that's okay. Different. We all love Jesus, and that's the best part, is we're coming together because we want to see God's kingdom come as will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And where that starts is by us realizing that the church is so much bigger than us. And so God has been doing some pretty awesome things. How many of you made it to any of the revival nights? Yeah? What, is it worth going? And so I would encourage you to check it out. God is doing some pretty remarkable things. And it's honestly, it's an answer to prayer, and we're really excited about it. Um, last week, we launched this new series called Tove. Uh, someone told me, I think I said Tove 137 times last week. It, it actually made it as a Facebook quiz. Um, anybody here can tell me what Tove means? It's all good. <laughs> the word good actually doesn't encapsulate it. Uh, it's actually a junk drawer term. And the idea is, is that it's as it should be. It's perfect. It's, it's the way things are supposed to be. God is described as good. So good is just kind of this overarching word, much like our word love. And I, I want to read to you from Philippians chapter 4 real quickly, because here's the thing. When we think about good, we have to realize is that good is so much more than we realize. This word tov has a lot of depth to it. And I just want to bring us back before we get into the next couple, several weeks of where we're going with our new series. Uh, Philippians chapter 4. Now you might be familiar with this verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Why? Because gentleness is tov. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, Tov is Hebrew for good, and anybody who knows anything about the Bible, the New Testament is written in Greek. But here's the thing. 
every Jew who was reading this would have understood the idea, the concept of Tov. The goodness of God is talked about throughout the Old Testament. It's one of the regular adjectives to describe who God is. Now, this next part of the verse, most of you might recognize it. You'll find it on plaques, on t-shirts. It's everywhere. And here's why I'm sharing it. It actually gives us a better definition of what I think Tov might look like. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things because those things are Tov. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now that first word, I want you to hear this real quickly. When it says whatever is true, all truth belongs to God. Truth is not bound up in religion. So I want you to hear this and hear my heart when I say this. All truth, regardless of its source, if it's true, it belongs to God because God is a God of truth. Amen? And that means regardless of what religion, world religions have truth in them. But you know what makes Christianity different is Jesus holds the ultimate truth. It's the way of salvation to know who God is. God is the ultimate truth. Jesus is the ultimate truth. Truth is tov. And so as we've been talking about this series, uh, uh, what we've been doing is we're refocusing, reframing what the mission, vision, and values of Zion are about. And they're not new to us. And I want, you to, I want you to hear this. These are not unique to us. These are not things I invented. Other churches have these same values. And they come down to three words. And I want to talk about why we do them. Because here's what I want you to think through. What if God has strategically placed Zion here in Clear Lake for a purpose? What if we're just not a gathering place so you can check off the religion box? I did my Christian thing today and went to church. What if God placed us here for a purpose? What if we're an outpost of hope for a world that is so desperately discouraged and looking for hope and purpose? See, what if our calling is to introduce people to the author and perfecter of good, the author of Tov, who is Jesus? And over the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about these new values that we've put into place. Because what if, what if we began to change our perspective on this thing called church? What if we began to look at church differently instead of something that we consume, it's something we participate in? What if God is calling us to something deeper and bigger? And these next three, there are three words, and everybody knows these words. You probably even have an understanding of what these words mean. And over the next three weeks, we're going to be digging into them. And they're, they're pretty simple words. And in fact, they're good words. They're tov words. And here's what they are. Belong, believe, become. Now, the order actually does matter, and I'm going to get into why we, I put them in the order that we did and what this means for us. And the first thing we're going to be talking about this week is this idea of belonging. When we look at the ministry of Jesus, at, at 30 years old, Jesus began his public ministry. And the reason was, is that as a Jew, as a Hebrew, you did not start a ministry until you were 30 years old. There's a reason why Jesus waited until he was 30. That's when rabbis began their official ministry. 30 years old, Jesus goes out and he begins teaching and preaching in the crowds. And we find that Jesus doesn't go to the typical places. He doesn't go to the uber-religious. Now, what we often miss is this, is that in the world of Jesus, in the time of Jesus, it was a very religious culture. Now, whether you were Jew or Roman, religion was part of it. It was central to everything. But for Jesus, he was going into Israel, into the community of Jews. And for them, 
following God was everything. In fact, if you had rock stars, and I've shared this before, if they had trading cards, they wouldn't be baseball players. They would have been rabbis or Pharisees. They would have had like, hey, I'll trade you a shemil for a gamaliel. Like they would, that's what they would have done because the Pharisees were the religious rock stars of the time. People looked up to the Pharisees. We see them as bad guys, but for a typical Jew, they saw the Pharisees as the people you wanted to be like. And so as Jesus is going out, who does he surround himself with? We'd picture, we'd think that the people that Jesus would hang out with would be the religious. It would be the ones who want to follow after Yahweh. But over and over in the New Testament, throughout the Gospels, where do we see Jesus? He's at the parties. He's hanging out with the people who don't want God. He's hanging out with the outsiders, those who are countercultural and not in a good way. He's hanging out with the pornographers, the drug addicts, the alcoholics. He's hanging out with the prostitutes and the adulterers. He's hanging out with the disabled, the people that were put on the fringe. That's where Jesus went. Why? Why did Jesus go there when everybody else would have thought that if Jesus, King Jesus was going to come, he would have hung out with the people who wanted him most? Here's the thing. Jesus ticked off religious people a lot. <laughs> And But every time he went to a party, and this is the remarkable thing that gets me about Jesus, Jesus was such a good guy. People wanted to be around him. They followed him. They flocked to him because there was something different about him from all other rabbis. They saw good. They encountered Tov. They were drawn to him. Jesus understood something that often we forget See, now our world is very different than that. We now, I want you to hear this. We still have religion, but our religion now is football. Our religion now is partying, it's hobbies, it's golf, it's hunting. And, and so when people say we're not religious, no, we absolutely are religious. We just have a different, we have different gods now. Does that make sense? And in fact, to be a Christian is now on the outsets. I remember growing up in the 80s and 90s, we were considered a Christian nation. We're not a Christian nation. I want to make that abundantly clear. We are not a Christian nation. In fact, Culture has shifted. 2,000 years ago, we're pretty different than 2,000 years ago. How many would agree with that? Now, we live in this Clear Lake bubble. I get it. Like, Clear Lake is kind of a bubble. It's an anomaly. But everywhere else you go, I was in San Jose. Joe actually lives in Santa Cruz right now. And one of the things he talked about at Revival is there's like 5,000 Christians, period, in like all of Santa Cruz. And how big is, how big is Santa Cruz? 300,000. 300,000 people. About 5,000 people who say they love Jesus in Santa Cruz. 5,000 people go to church on Easter. There it is right there. And we all know Easter is not necessarily... <laughs> Sometimes you go to Easter service because grandma said you need to go, right? And here's the thing. Why did Jesus hang out with them? Why was Jesus there? What was he trying to accomplish? See, in the time that things have changed, our world, we no longer look at the religious elite as the influencers, as the people that speak into our lives. Now, I want you to hear this as well. There are some amazing mega pastors out there, uh, church, pastors over mega churches. And many of them are preaching the gospel faithfully, and I'm so grateful for the work they're doing. But most of the people who influence us now are not the religious. It's not the Christians. It's not the pastors. It's the actors. It's the football players. It's the, the artists that are now part of it. And here's why. See, there's one thing that every influencer understands. And they, every, every single one of them is attaching to this ache that exists within all human beings. Whether 2,000 years ago, 7,000 years ago, 70 days ago, even in this very moment, every person longs to 
belong. We're all looking for a place where we're wanted. It's human nature. We were, we're connected. We're created that way. Whether you're Christian, atheist, Muslim, or anything else. We all long to belong. And people of influence, when you are usually attracted to them because there's something about them that makes you feel like they get you. That you belong. Uh, when I was in my 20s, uh, I used to, we used to go to the Del Mar Fair. It's like the county fair for San Diego. And I was, talking, was hanging out with some friends and we're walking along and I had to use the restroom and I go into the restroom and I'm doing my business and all of a sudden I hear voices and they're lady voices. And the first thing that went through my head was someone better tell those women they're in the wrong restroom. And then all of a sudden I went, oh no. <laughs> and I finished my business and there's like four or five ladies all right here and I come out of the stall and I walk out and just to play it cool I go, ladies. And I just keep on walking because I was not going to let him know. I knew I did not belong. There was no more awkward feeling than when you're in a place you know you don't belong. How many of you have ever been there? Come on now. We've all had that moment, haven't we? We've all had that moment where we're in a place and we go, whoa. <laughs> or in the words of Scooby-Doo, ruh right? We've all had that moment where we realize something, we're not in the right place because... All human beings were created with the desire, a longing to belong. And when we're in a place we don't belong, we feel it. We 100%, every human being knows that desire. We were actually first created by God to belong to God. When Adam was created, he was created in the image of God. And he was created to first and foremost belong to his creator. Now, last week, if you were here, we talked about this idea of tov, of good. And, and in Genesis, the word tov is uh, the first three chapters used 15 times. Check it out. God looks at Adam and realizes that even though God and Adam have this great relationship, it's not good, it's not tov that Adam be alone. And so what does he do? He creates Eve. Now here's the thing. Eve was not just created for Adam. Adam was also created for Eve. They were created to be together in community, in relationship. How many of you have ever heard this, this phrase, you have a God-shaped hole in your heart? How many of you have ever heard that before? It's an old Christian cliche, and it all means that there's something inside of us that longs to connect with God. But did you know that every single one of us also has a people-shaped hole in our heart? Every single person in this room has that desire to be wanted and longed for. Now, whether sometimes we, we might isolate, but that's usually because of trauma or mental illness. When at our base needs, we long to belong. And I think Jesus understood this, and which is why, why did Jesus hang out with who he did? Because most of those people didn't feel like they belonged. So Jesus went to them. We were created to belong. It's something innate within all of us. In the early 2000s, this movement called Social Media began. And I want to show you a picture, and I'm going to see how many people remember this guy. Anybody know who that is? That's Tom. Tom was the first member of a community of places for people to connect and belong. And Tom was your first friend. Everybody had to be friends with Tom. I don't know if he was just super needy or what. But he was, everybody, if you belonged to MySpace, you were friends with Tom. It was a necessity. You could not reject him. He was your number one friend. Everybody shared him in common. And I remember when I created my first MySpace account, going, oh my gosh, I feel like I belong to something. Even though it was, I didn't know anybody else on there, I was all part of it, and it was important to me. And then, in 2004, a college social media experiment began called Facebook. And Facebook took off. How many of you in this room have a Facebook account? Be honest. 
I know even you younger people, you do. Check this out. Uh, it is considered to this date to be one of the largest social media platforms for connectivity in the world. Out of our 7 billion people, 2.79 million billion people log on to Facebook every day. 2.79. 69.1% of the U.S. population is on Facebook. 73% log on daily. How many of you are willing to admit that you log on to Facebook every day? I do. I actually tried to re like not do the whole social media. I'm, I'm kind of a non-conformist. Anybody else like that? If something's popular, I'm like, I'm not doing it. And then we moved to Silicon Valley, and every person in my church had a Facebook account, and I realized that if I wanted to talk with them, I needed to have a Facebook account. So we opened up a Facebook account, and now I'm addicted. It's a whole thing. But here's the thing. It didn't just stop there because everybody logs for it. And in part of this community, did you know that 36% of Facebook users, that's where they get their news from? That's sad and a little terrifying. But it didn't just start, it didn't just stop there. It didn't go MySpace and Facebook. Now we have other ones. So we're going to play a little game here, okay? And I just want you to shout it out as soon as you know what it is. I'm going to show you an icon and I'm going to see who can name what it is. Okay, ready? What's the first one? How many of you have an Instagram account? Okay, so not only do you have a Facebook account, now you have an Instagram account. Okay, let's do the next one. How many have a Snapchat? Come on. You're going to start seeing that as we go, the younger people are going to start raising their hands more. The average person on Facebook, like the majority of people are over 40. On Instagram, I think the average age is like six months old. I don't know. It's <laughs> Snapchat. Snapchat, people on. How about this one? Every kid knows TikTok. It's where you learn all your dances and stuff, right? And I'm not saying it's all good. Please don't think I'm promoting any of these things, but there are people doing it. Now, I'm going to show you one that I think most people are probably not going to admit if they know it, but let's see if they have this one. <laughs> That's Tinder. Leave that up for a second. Leave, no, leave that up. As soon as I say it, he's like, done, yeah. <laughs> Tinder is where... People look for opportunities to connect, usually in an intimate nature. We have children in the room, so I'm going to be careful of my words. With same-sex and opposite-sex attraction, the purpose is to connect in not just going out for coffee ways. Why do every, what do every single one of these have in common? Every person who joins them is looking to what? Belong, to connect. Now, there's a new movement that's been going on over the last several years that I don't have an icon for, but I think, uh, particularly my younger ones, let's show this image. Of me, <laughs> Cave's like, yeah! Right? Every, every young boy in the room is like, Fortnite! What is Fortnite? Fortnite is a multiplayer game world where you go around and you shoot people. And here's the thing. I grew up, if you're under 50, you are the first generation to grow up with technology in your house. I grew up with Atari. How many of you guys remember the Atari with that little joystick thing and that little red button? You're like, yeah! And you start getting spasms in your arm because you're like, ah! You know what I'm talking about? And then I remember playing Pitfall. And I'm like, this is awesome. And then I had Nintendo. And I was like, this is even more awesome! Mario rules! And we would come and my friends would come over and we'd play together. And we'd be like going super contra, up, down, up, down, left, right, left, right, A, B, B, A, select, start. Yeah, I'm like the whole thing, right? Anybody that's my generation is like, Yes! I know what Jason's talking about. Older people are like, what? <sighs> Did you have too much caffeine this morning, Jason? What is going on? And then I remember when Super Nintendo came out. Now, here's the thing. In the 80s and 90s, in the early 2000s, when you played video games, your friends would come over to your house and you'd play together sitting next to each other. And then something happened. 
See, now I remember watching and play, actually I was playing this game called Street Fighter on Super Nintendo. And I remember turning to my best friend and going, I don't think it's ever going to get better than this. This is incredible. They, you can almost see eyes on them. Like, he looks so real. <laughs> and then they started bringing things like Xbox Live. And you want to know why kids connect on Fortnite? And this is hard for us older people to get because we think of community as seeing each other, sitting next to each other. These people will get online for hours at a time not to play a video game, but to connect with their friends because they all long to belong. See, the older generation is like, would you get off your computer games? It's not about the computer game. It's about the community attached to it. Does that make sense? And I can tell you we struggle with this because my son, if we let him play Fortnite all day long, he would. But he's not playing the video game. It's the connection. He even wants to get extra apps so he can talk to his friends offline. And for those of us who don't think like that, we're like, that's weird. But it's about belonging. People long to belong and social media scratches this itch inside of every single one of us. Brene Brown, who's a leading psychologist and author and expert on intimacy, she writes this. A deep sense of love and belonging is an irreducible need of all people. We are biologically, cognitively, physically, and spiritually wired to love, to be loved, and to belong. When those needs are not met, we don't function as we were meant to. We break, we fall apart, we numb, we ache, we hurt others, we get sick. People are longing for connection, and when we lose connection, it affects us not just mentally, but physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Uh, how many of you have ever been to Disneyland or Disney World? Okay, now I had some like, what's up with all the Disney characters, Jason? Uh, if you've ever been to Disneyland or Disney World, one thing that Disney does better than anybody else is make every single person who walks through the gate feel like they belong. Why do they have the characters walking around and interacting and talking with you? Because they want you to know that you belong there. Why does every host, we have uh, one of Lisa's best friends worked at Disney for several years and, and that, that you don't even have to be a cast member. You don't have to be on staff. The minute you step onto their property, they want you to know you belong there. And you know what kills me? Why is it that Disney is better at making you feel like you belong than the church is? Why does Disney do a better job of making people feel like they belong than the church does? Because I think sometimes maybe we forget the purpose of the church. It's clear when you go to Disney that they want your family there. It's almost like they built the place with you in mind. My kids are so spoiled. Um, when we were in Phoenix before we moved here, because her friend works at Disneyland, she got us into Disney like five times in one year. Like I think most people have gone five times collectively in their lifetime, maybe five times to Disney. We went like every other month because we got to go in for free and, and it was amazing and we'd go and I think about that and I look at the church and I go, what if our mission, what if the first step of our mission to bring Tove into a person's life is to let them know that they don't have to believe in Jesus to belong? What if the first step is not, and, and let's be clear, when someone steps into the doors of the church, I want every person in this room to love Jesus. I'm, I'm, not, I'm unabashedly, unashamedly going to say that. But we have people who walk through these doors and we don't know the condition of their heart. We don't know if they're saved, not saved. We don't know if they're Buddhist, atheist, Muslim. We don't know where they stand with Jesus. The minute they walk through the doors, what should they feel? 
They should feel like they belong, that they matter, that we want them here. What if in that first step, what if the reason why Jesus went to the parties is because he wanted the, the people who didn't feel like they belonged to know that they did? They belonged to a God who was crazy about them, who loved them. And Jesus went to expose, to reveal that tove, that goodness of God into broken situations. What if in our shifting of the way that we think about church changes and we began to realize, what if our first step is in helping every person who walks through our doors, even maybe passes by our building on the street, or how about just lives next to you, feel like maybe they have a place they could belong because there's a sacred longing inside every person to belong. What if that's the first step in our mission? What if that's Tove? See, if you look at the people who follow Jesus, but also who Jesus placed himself around, notice what I said there, who he placed himself around. He looked for these people. He, so, he went out to seek and save the lost. A lot of them were people who in the religious world of the Jews, because remember, the rock stars were the religious people, the followers of Yahweh. Those are the people that you wanted to be like. Why did Jesus hang out with the forgotten and the oppressed? The poor, the orphan, the widow, and the fatherless. Why, did, why, why was that so central to him? I mean, it would make more sense for him to go to the religious, to the people who were waiting for him. But interestingly enough, the people who should have been excited about Jesus couldn't stand him. But the people who didn't feel like they belonged, the people on the outside, they were drawn to Jesus. There was something different about him. Or how about the outcasts? The prostitutes, the alcoholics, the adulterers, the tax collectors, the sick, those with special needs, the demon-possessed, the Roman centurion, the ones who were on the fringe of society. See, back then, they didn't have handicap-accessible buildings for places, people to come. If you were disabled, if you were handicapped, you were just stuck. If you were poor, unless you had somebody willing to help you, you were stuck. Adulterers, you were defined by your sin. That's why when Jesus would have women who would come to him who were known in the community, and the first thing they would say is if, if he was truly a righteous man, if he was truly a holy man, he would know who was touching him. Why did Jesus seek out the lepers? Why did Jesus look for them? Because here's what I believe. I think Jesus went to them because every single one of them wanted to know that they belonged somewhere. And Jesus came to say, I have a Father in heaven who loves you and you can belong. What if we as the church began to see ourselves not as something that we attend, something that we consume, but something that we participate in bringing the tove of God, the goodness of God, that belonging that comes with being in the kingdom to people. And yes, even for those who don't know Jesus yet, they can belong to a church. But let me clarify, okay? And, and some of you might, well, they're not Christian. They can't belong. There are stages of belonging. There are different ways of thinking about belonging. See, Jesus was looking for the spiritual homeless, the familyless, because there was one thing that they, along with every Jew, every Egyptian, every Babylonian, every Persian, every Roman, every American, every Republican, every Democrat, black, white, straight, gay, lesbian, bisexual, whatever they might be, every single one of them is looking for one thing. They're all looking for some place to tell them that they matter. That they can belong. How many of you know that longing? Even if you don't raise your hands, every single one in this room knows that longing. And what if our calling, what if the first stage, the first step of our bringing Tove into our community is by letting people know they can belong, that they're wanted? I wanna, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 14. 
And I'm going to paraphrase the first part of the story, and then we're going to get into the text. But check this out. So Jesus gets invited by a group of Pharisees over to a house. Now, usually when the religious leaders invited Pharisees to their house for dinner, it wasn't because they liked him. It's because they wanted to trap him. They were usually looking for a way to, to get at him or find something wrong or to accuse him or challenge him. And Jesus was not afraid of it. Jesus was never afraid of conflict. And so Jesus is going on a Sabbath, is what it tells us in Luke 14, that it's a Sabbath day, and in the Jewish world, you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. And as he's walking with the Pharisees to this guy's house to eat, he sees a man who has got severe swelling in his body. And Jesus sees this man, sees that he needs healing, and he says to the Pharisee, hey, let me ask you a question. Is it lawful, is it okay according to the law of Moses for this man to be healed, for me to heal this man? And the Pharisees don't say anything. I think they sense they were probably in a setup. They were in a trap. And Jesus says, well, let me ask you a different question. If one of your, if you had a donkey or a mule who fell into a pit, is it okay to rescue that mule even if it's on the Sabbath, which according to the law, it was. It's so interesting that it was legal, it was lawful to save a donkey out of a hole, but not a man or a woman desperately in need of healing. That was considered work. So then Jesus goes into the house knowing that he knows the condition of their heart. And he goes to sit down. And here's what happens. This is, Jesus is so amazing. He goes to sit at the table. And at the Jewish table, it's customary that the honored guest gets the most special seat at the table. And Jesus is technically supposed to be the honored guest. But there's a group of Pharisees there. And as they're going, the, each single, every single one of them starts thinking that they're the honored guest. So they're all vying for the place of honor at the table. Ignoring the actual guest of honor who is Jesus. And Jesus sees this knowing the condition of their heart. And if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 14 verses 8 through 14. My Bible flipped to the wrong page. <laughs> Here it is. When someone, this is what he says, when he noticed how the guests picked the place of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and all those who humbled themselves will be exalted. Jesus tells a parable, a story that every single person in that room understood. Because if there was a wedding feast, the guest of honor, you want it, being at the best seat means you're going to get the best food, the first choice of stuff, best drink, all those things. And he's like, hey, if this was the case and you're not supposed to be there, the host will actually say, hey, you're in the wrong seat, move over here. Now listen to what he says next. Jesus uses stories for a reason. Stories connect way more than statistics, amen? I gave some statistics at the beginning. Anybody remember those? Probably not. Why did Jesus speak in parables? Because parables speak to our soul. They speak to our imagination. They challenge us. Listen to what he says. Then Jesus said to the host, the person who invited Jesus to come to dinner, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. Here is the thing, and we still do this today. We tend to only surround ourselves with people that are in the same station we are who will help or who will help us elevate to another station in life. 
That's who we think about who you invite for dinner. It's usually friends. Who do you want to surround yourself? People that typically will elevate you. And then Jesus says this. But when, where'd that go? I hear it. I hear it squeaking on me. There it is. I'm looking down here and it's just right up there. That'll preach too. But when you have a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and then you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Why does, what is Jesus getting at? See, what if, what if we begin to think of the world around us and who are the people who often get left behind? What if God is calling us to invest in them, to invite, to invite them into our lives, into our sphere, to make them feel welcome? Because we, they can't give anything back to us. And isn't that what the grace of God is about? We have a God who loved us, who showed grace to us, and we can never repay him for that grace. What if in order to bring Tove into our world, it starts with helping those who feel like they don't belong, that they do. That they have a home. Um, this last spring, my family and I went to Florida on vacation, and we stayed in Orlando. We didn't go to Disney, uh, but we stayed there, and we went and visited a bunch of places. And there's several people from Zion who live in a town called Bradenton, which is about an hour or so away from Orlando. And they invited us to go to the church that they attend there during the winter because, let's be honest, who wouldn't rather be in Florida in the winter than Iowa? Uh, and so while we were there, we went to Bayside Community Church. And it was amazing. This church, first of all, is ginormous. By the way, ginormous is in the dictionary. You can look it up. It's a real word. And we go on in the parking lot. They've, there's thousands of people, parking lot attendants, as you're walking in, they're waving at you. Hey, great job! right? And I'm like, this is incredible. We walk into this huge building, thousands of people, thousands of people, and yet I felt seen. We had people who came up, gave us high fives. Hey, great to have you. So glad you're here with us. So uh, welcome. Thank you. So good. My kids, as we were walking by, they had an area for the middle schoolers and junior hires and high schoolers, and then they have the whole kids play area. And Indy uh, and Eli went to their separate areas, and Eli played Gaga ball and heard about Jesus, and Indy goes to her thing, and we get done with church, and Indy walks out, and I said, how was it? And she goes, oh, it's so cool. I met this girl in the youth group, and she invited me to participate on this online devotional thing with her. And so I downloaded the app, and so we're going to do a devotion together. And she did. We were not even from Orlando. We're not even from Florida. Probably not going to go back to that church for at least maybe a year or more. And yet the first thing they did is they wanted her to feel welcomed. And she did. And she built a relationship. What if when people walk through the doors, when they walk through the doors of Zion, what do they encounter? Who do they encounter? See, here's the thing. We have an amazing hospitality team. Can we give it up for our hospitality team? They do an amazing job. But if the church is doing its job well, you don't need a hospitality team because we're the hospitality team. Let me say that again. If the church is doing its job well, we don't need a hospitality team because we, not just me, we are the hospitality team. Every person who walks through those doors, you know what they're all wanting to know? Could I belong here? Whether they're Christian or not, when people walk through the doors of the church, one of the first things they're looking for is, can I belong here? How many of you, don't show your hands, how many of you have ever been to a church and you knew immediately it was like being in the restroom of the wrong sex? 
You walk in and you're like, they don't want me here. <laughs> I, I've walked into places. I was interviewing at a church. Interviewing at a church and I go into their Saturday night service. The only person who said hi to me was the pastor. Nobody else welcomed me. I ended up working at that church, but that was one of the things I was honest with. I'm like, man, you got a hospitality problem. I got to tell you, we have some amazing ministry stuff going on here, but what if, what if every single person, every person seated in this place right now began to see that they were on a mission, that God has placed you here not just to attend church, but to be a part of what God is doing here in Clear Lake, Iowa, North Iowa, through Zion. And it starts with helping people feel like they belong. These are things that God is calling us to do. So I, I, I want to give you a, a better illustration. Um, you guys remember Legos? I've had people ask me what's up with the Legos. I, anytime things are up here, they're not random. Some of us have, well, we all have one thing. All, every single Lego has two things in common. And it's true of all human beings. We all have a place where we want to connect and a place to be connected to. Every single human being. Every single one of us is looking for a place to belong. And every single, play, every single person in this room also has a place for someone to belong with you. It's the human connection. We're designed like Legos. Now, some of us have more spaces for people to connect than others, right? Like, I probably am like three of these set up, but here's what I found. The older I get, the more responsibility I have, the more relationships I have. Once I had kids and I got married, some of those spots got filled, Right? I, I didn't have as much. Some of you, like, you're like, I got, I got four spaces, Jason. That's all I got. But remember, you have a top and a bottom. The bottom is the place for you to connect. But what if, what if, check this out, what if? The reason why God has this place here is not so that that person can be your best friend, but so that you can make them feel like they belong and then they can find their best friend. They can find the place they belong. What if we actually learn something spiritual from Legos that God created us not just to be connected or to connect to, but also to be connected with? What if that's why we're here? What if in the midst of that, God is helping us understand that we have a calling? What if people helping other people connect to belong is the first step in bringing Tov, maybe even bringing Jesus into people's lives? How do we do this? Well, we do it through hospitality. We do it through small groups. We do it through relationship. Um, my previous job, before stepping into this role as the interim lead pastor, I oversaw, oversaw adult ministries. And Jennifer Colby, who, by the way, Jennifer Colby is just killing her. She's doing an amazing job. So is children's ministry. So is, I mean, we have, we have so many great staff. Amen? We have a lot of great staff here at Zion. But the reason why we're trying to get people connected is because here's, and this is the thing that we forget. Sometimes we assume that it's the pastor's job, it's the staff member's job to do all the work of ministry. But what Ephesians tells us, Ephesians chapter 4, is that God gave us apostles, evangelists, preachers, teachers, prophets to equip the saints not to do all the work for the saints. Jennifer's job is not to do all the work. Her job is to help you learn how to step into your God-induced calling to do the mission that God has called you to do. That's, and she's doing a great job at it. Actually, I think better than I did. <laughs> and as we look at this, here's, here's the thing, and I, I want to share a story um, that I, I think is so important for everyone in this room to hear. Uh, so we had a new family who started coming to our church, I'm guessing probably about eight, seven, eight months ago. 
and I had stepped into this role, and, and I used to oversee Hero Makers. Hero Makers is our men's ministry. And I was basically, everything ran through me. I was the point person. If it was going to happen, it's because I made it happen. And that's okay. That was my job as staff, and I was trying to encourage and empower. Well, I, I don't have the bandwidth to do Hero Makers anymore. I just don't. Doesn't mean I don't love it. Doesn't mean I don't care about it. I just don't have the capacity anymore to do it the way it needs to be done. And so Jennifer is overseeing it. And so this, this new family comes and the husband is talking to my brother Lee Nagel. Who Lee Nagel got connected and felt belonged going to Alpha, which Jennifer Colby brought in about two years ago. And God got a hold of Lee's life. And so this guy is talking to Lee and saying, what do you have for men's ministry? And Lee looks at me and tells me, he goes, Jason, I got to admit, I was a little ashamed. Since you're not doing it, it's not happening anymore. And I was a little embarrassed. And so he's like, what do I do? And I said, what do you want to do? Now, here's what I love. Lee doesn't have a Bible degree. Lee doesn't have a title next to his name. Lee is just a Holy Spirit, Jesus-loving, gospel-filled man. And so what does he do? Lee goes, you know what? I'm going to figure it out. And so he grabs this new guy and a bunch of other guys said, hey, let's just start meeting. Lee, who has no Bible degree, who has no position, he begins to do a small group. Now this group of guys have been getting together weekly. They've encouraged one another, doing life together. They're serving together. And it started because Lee understood the desire for belonging. And it doesn't have to stop with Lee. See, every single person in this room has that ability to do that, but it's the fear. It's the fear, but I want you to think about, you know what it feels like to not belong. What if God wants to turn that fear on its head so you can help those who are afraid to belong feel like they have a place to belong? What would our church look like if we started that together? Now, I'm gonna, we're going to come to an end here, and I, I want to I bring us to a text in Acts chapter 2. And, and here's what we see. Okay, so Jesus has died. He's resurrected. Acts chapter 1, the disciples go up to the mount. They're looking for Jesus. Jesus comes and he says, hey, listen, I got to go ascend. I got to be with the Father. I'm going to ascend, um, but I'm sending you out. And then it says Jesus ascends up into heaven, but he says, hey, don't worry. The Holy Spirit's coming. You're gonna, something's going to happen. And he ascends, and they're all standing there looking up, like waiting for Jesus to come back. He's gone. Then in Acts chapter 2, we see the day of Pentecost comes, which the Holy Spirit comes, fills the temple, and all these people begin to speak in tongues of fire, hearing languages, this whole thing, right? And that's not where my focus is. What happens next is the birth of the church. The church is not an organization, it's an organism. It's not an institution, it's a movement. And here's what happens. This early group of Christians, as they get filled with the Holy Spirit, and we need the Holy Spirit in order to do this well, the Holy Spirit begins to build the church, and they start as a community. Okay, Acts chapter 2. There are three ways that we think we belong to in Acts chapter 2. Okay, check this out. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. First and foremost, if you're a Christian, you belong to Jesus. Jesus first. They devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. First and foremost, if you are a Christian, you belong to God's family. You belong to King Jesus. Okay, that's every Christian, every, every person who confesses Christ as Lord. Romans 7, 4 through 5. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Second, we belong to each other. If you belong to Jesus, then you also belong to his family. And anyone who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord, you are now part of the family of God. Now here's the thing. Just like all human beings, not all family members like each other. You don't have to like each other to love each other. 
There are some people in this room who don't like me. I'm, I get it. I don't like it. I wish you liked me. I still like to be liked, but we don't always get along. We don't always like each other, but we love each other. We belong to a family. Everyone, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now listen to this next part. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now that word anyone is important because it doesn't clarify that it's just believers. They just gave to anyone, but they are together. Now check this out, Romans 12, 5. So in Christ, we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Galatians 6, 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. You belong to Jesus. If you're a Christian, then you belong to a family. But now the last part is you belong to a mission. Check this out. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Why were they meeting in the temple? Well, first of all, they didn't have beautiful buildings like this. But who was in the temple courts? It wasn't just Christians. It was Jews and God-fearing Gentiles who were seeking after God, people that were hungry. They purposely met into a public space where there were people who didn't yet believe. Then they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. They were doing this thing called life, this belonging so well that everyone on the outside was like, whatever's going on there, that's, that's special. I want that. But here's what I think was also happening. I think as they were going out into the temple and they were talking to Jews or people seeking or people who didn't know Jesus yet, they were then inviting them into their home and they were showing them what Christian community looks like. And here's the beauty. You ready for this? The last thing he says is this. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Who added to the church? Who grew the church? I didn't grow the church. You didn't grow the church. God grows the church. That takes all the pressure off us. But what was their responsibility? Their responsibility was to bring Tov, but also to help people belong. Now, here's what I want you to hear. You do not have to be a Christian to be a part of what God is doing here. Now, I'm not going to lie. Do I want you to become a Christian? Absolutely. This isn't a bait and switch. But I can tell you that there are people who go to Zion. We actually have people on staff who, when they first came to Zion, were not Christians, but they felt like they belonged here, and eventually God got a hold of their heart. And now they love Jesus and are serving Jesus. But what did it start with? It didn't start with me saying, hey, do you want to know Jesus? It started with me saying, hey, do you want to belong? What if our calling is to help Every person who walks through the doors of this church in our lives feel like they could have a place that they could belong. It could change everything. Here's the thing. I talked about the stages of belonging. When people want to belong to a mission, here's what they're looking for. They're looking for a purpose. People want a purpose bigger than themselves. A few months ago, we launched a new initiative to take that old beaten down intern house, which had been abused for years, that at one point was a very beautiful property, but now it had been, I mean, it was, it was broken down. And we're now doing a sober living house. We're partnering with a, another organization up in, in Mason City. And we're using it as a safe place for people who are working through their sobriety to belong. And you want to know the best part about it? We started this initiative and people from Zion and even outside of our community have started joining in in this mission because people want to belong to something bigger than them. And I have a feeling 
that as we continue to love our city well, to be who God has called us to be, to be this outpost of hope in our community, that what God's going to do is going to bring people who are looking for a community to belong to, who are looking for a place where they can find a mission, and they are going to find Jesus in the process. So if you are here and you don't, have, you don't know Jesus, or if you're here and you have questions or doubts, I want you to know this is a safe place to be. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. Do I want you to know Jesus 100%, but you don't have to be a Christian to belong to what God's doing here. Now, I want to end with this three stages of belonging, and the Legos are up here for a purpose. And I'm going to, can you guys just stand with me? Okay, I want, to, I want to end with these stages of belonging because here's what people are looking for. See, it starts off, belonging is like a funnel, okay? And at the top of the funnel, I'm going to say those are people who maybe aren't Christian, who are, who are exploring, seeking, hungry. They don't know what they're looking for. When they come, what they're first looking for is a place to belong, a place. They want to know that they're welcomed and wanted. Or maybe they come because they like some of the stuff that we're doing. They belong to a mission. They have a purpose. And as they come, they start realizing, hey, these these Zion people, these Christians, they're not that bad. I, I can kind of I kind of like them. They're kind of fun to be around. They laugh. They have fun. They love each other well. Then they start to feel like they can belong to a community. It's connected. But here's the shift. See, when they move from belonging to a place to Jesus, you become a disciple. You begin to say, how do I follow and live like this Jesus? And then as that happens, it says this, that when you belong to Jesus, now you belong to his people. Now you don't just belong to a community, you belong to the church. You're a part of a body of Christ that loves you and cares about you, and you belong to God's family. And now here's the best part. When God gets a hold of your heart, he then gets a hold of your vision. Now you belong to God's mission, not just a mission. You belong to God's mission. You have a purpose far bigger than you can fathom, not just to become like Jesus, but to live a life like Jesus so you can impact the world for Jesus. But it starts all at that top. Now, maybe you're a Christian and you've come to Zion, you're looking for a church home, man, you jump right in, you're already family. But for the person who's not there, you don't have to be family to belong. We want you here. We want you to have life. We want you to come to our men's ministry to do those things. So here's what we're going to do to make this more tangible. Okay, so how many of you guys remember growing up with Legos? Oh, be careful. If someone's barefoot, you're going to have that moment. That is horrible. Have you ever stepped on a Lego in the middle of the night? What I'm going to invite you to do is we come up for our tithe and offering, whether or not you have an offering or not, if you have an offering or if you just want to come up, we're going to invite you. And what I want you to do is I want you, this is the downside of biting your nails. I don't have nails. I can do this. Ha, I did it. <laughs> that's, that's an applause-worthy thing. <laughs> How low is the bar here? <laughs> Hercules, right? <laughs> Here's what I want you to do. As you come up, I want you to actually put the Lego in because I want you to feel what it's like to belong. And you can stack them on each other. Maybe this isn't your church home. Maybe you belong to the body of Christ. Maybe you're exploring. Maybe it's your first time. You, this is a place you can belong. So as we take our offering and as we do this, well, I want to end with this. Would you just come and let's be part of what God is doing. Know that this is a place you can belong. Amen? So we're going to sing this last worship song. And if you have your tithe and offering, by the way, if you don't like to give it up here, we have buckets in the back. It's not about the money. It's about the heart of worship that comes behind our giving. But we're going to invite all to come and participate in this. So... Grab some Legos. You belong.